0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Finance for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Wren. Join me as we dig into what it looks like for physicians to begin using their finances as a tool to live better lives. You can learn more about our resources at financeforphysicians.co. Let's jump into today's episode. I'm so happy to be here with you today. My guest is a fellow certified financial planner and the founder of Anesthesia Success, a planning firm dedicated to helping anesthesia and pain physicians make great career and financial decisions. He's also the host of the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success Podcast. Plus, on top of that, he's actually married to an anesthesiologist. My guest today is Justin Harvey. Justin, welcome.
1: Thank you, Daniel. Pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, so this is this is kind of the time of the year. Typically, you know, giving is a is a hotter topic, and I think you know everybody also wants to reduce taxation. Uh, at least most of the people I talk to. And so, what I wanted to do today was to have Justin on to chat with us and talk about some of the cool strategies that are available for you to help maximize that effectiveness of your giving. So Justin, you ready to do this? Absolutely. Let's dive in. Awesome. So just maybe let's just start big picture. What, how would you describe just your thoughts in general on giving? We're both financial planners and, you know, we help people, you know, in our day jobs navigate their, their money, but how does this work into your practice or what are your thoughts in general?
1: Yeah. So it's interesting. um, Uncle Sam obviously helps out people who are charitably inclined. It's very kind of Uncle Sam to say, "Hey, if you give enough money above a certain amount, then you can uh, you can deduct it from your taxes, meaning your taxable income goes from a high number to a somewhat lower number in the amount of your charitable contributions." Now, there's a sort of minimum hurdle you need to clear in order to get that benefit called the standard deduction, which we'll get to in a minute. But I, I'm always uh, I'm kind of intrigued by this in some ways that the idea of itemizing itemizing your contributions and I, I see this standard deduction as at least a, a starting point, you know, for for generosity. I, whenever I am talking to people who are charitably inclined or who want to be generous or give sacrificially or give in ways that are going to make their community a better place or to people in need or charitable organizations, I think a, a nice little baby step, especially if you're very high income, I mean, this is, this is merely a baby step, but to say like let's look at the standard deduction and let's say, can we get you to a point where you're going to itemize because of your charitable contributions? And then you get a little bit of that taste of what is it like whenever you're generous with what you've got and then look out because uh, (laughs) you might find that it becomes this really awesome experience. You become less attached to your stuff and to your money and uh, it could set you on this whole new trajectory. So one of the things that I love about, this topic in particular, and with my clients, when I have these conversations is to take the people who are charitably inclined and to help them cultivate not only the desire, but the mechanics of giving in a way that is optimized for their financial situation. So we get the best tax deal we can. We think strategically about the strategies we want to use. And we'll talk about some of those in a minute. And it's, I I'm totally energized by it. I love it. And seeing people it's, it's a deep privilege, as you know, Dan, like working with people in, in this sacred space, really, of talking about money. I mean, people talk about everything before they talk about how much I made per year and how much I gave to charity last year. A lot of people are actually ashamed to talk about the latter of those. And so being able to be in that space with people uh, and help them think constructively about it is, is just a, a deep privilege that I, I, I love. So.
0: yeah no I'm in the same boat I would say one thing I would point out is with with giving I think where it works well is you have to really think of it as giving first that has to be the priority not saving on taxes although saving on taxes is nice I don't it's not effective if you say I need to save on taxes therefore I give uh, it has to be giving is important to me so let's try to make the most of our giving yes
1: there's seldom a case at least I can't think of a case off the top of my head where I had an option to either where giving resulted in a, a, you having more money in your bank account. It's basically saying, well, I'm going to give a little less to Uncle Sam if I give a bigger check to a charity, and that's a trade that I'm willing to make. And I think, you know, again, this is a, a first step and a good step, but it is merely that. And, and I'm curious in your thoughts on this, Dan. I think one of the thing, this is part of the way I see the world and the philosophy that I have with financial planning. So as a someone who believes in generosity, it's my faith, that shapes my conviction about these things. And I believe that, you know, we have a creator who made us and who hardwired certain things into sort of the physics of the universe. And I think that this conversation about generosity is true across nationality, across different religious sect, across all swaths of socioeconomic strata, that when we give, it has a really constructive function in the human brain and in the human heart. And it helps to uncurl our fingers from around our own stuff. And it, it helps to reorient our value
0: system. Yeah, that's pretty deep stuff, man. <clears throat> that's, that's like, and I think it depends on, so I would, uh, in terms of the, uh, you know, the faith aspect, I'm sure there were, there would be lots of people that would argue with you on that. I agree with you on that, but I'm sure that there would be lots of people that would want to kind of take a different stance but in terms of the giving and the physical effects on you i don't think that's up for debate at least if we go talk to the scientists you know because there's a lot of research on the science of giving and how it affects your happiness yeah and i think that's what i'm saying is that giving makes you happy whether or not you believe whatever you believe but it is interesting that it's kind of hardwired into humans that they get a kind of a you know. Happiness kick. It's a good ROI on your happiness to, you know, give.
1: And I think, you know, people in our position, Dan, and the position of our clients, like we have the luxury to solve for our happiness, to say, what is the life that makes me the most happy and then work backwards from there. And I just think that giving is an important part of that.
0: Yeah. Well, before we get into the mechanics and the, the strategies and that sort of thing, I'm just curious on your end, you get to see a lot of. People's money, kind of like I do. And so, have you seen like where, in your experience, what do you think is the most effective form of giving? And what I mean by that is like, you know, you can just write checks, you can um, be ing- involved in the organization, you can um, go find the people that have the need and then go give. And there's all kinds of different ways to give, there's more active giving. And in your experience, though, what has been seems to be the most rewarding form of giving?
1: Great question. Uh, two things I would say, and, and this is totally stolen from this guy named Andy Crouch with whom I, I spoke one time. Um company I used to work for had him in to speak about a book that he had just written. And he said, he was sharing about uh, some of the things that he, he's given us a lot of thought. He's a guy who's intentionally generous. And what he said is uh, he tries to give generously in ways that make a dent in his own life so that it costs him a little something because that gives him some emotional investment in the cause. And he also does it to an organization or to a cause that he's also giving time to. And he does it in a way that moves the needle on that organization's efforts. So for somebody like him in this context, and, and I think about my own sort of generosity paradigm in the same way, like, is it going to make a difference? Not Nothing against like the American Cancer Society. But if I stroke them a $5,000 check at the end of the year, is that just going to get sucked up into the mothership and no one's going to know or care. And I'm not going to be able to connect my gift with some specific way in which the universe is a better place. So right. I'm less inclined to do that than to say, I have a, a friend who you know runs a local nonprofit and I, I know the work that they're doing. Maybe I'm on the board. Maybe I just participate meaningfully in some way with my time. And I, I can see under the hood and I know what they're doing. And I know the people who are being served and I, I can see what their budget is. And I know that if I gave some big gift, it would further their mission in a tangible way. And I would even have some uh, ability to observe it uh, with my own eyeballs. So I think that for me, as I think about constructing generosity intentionally into my life, those are things that I think about. I want it to cost me something. I want it to move the needle with the organization that I'm serving. And I also, I don't want to spread it so thin. I'm not a guy who wants to write 100, $100 checks. I'd rather write a $10,000 check and make it have this impact that I'm describing.
0: Yeah. Now that you got to be careful with the finding. I agree that finding an organization and and being involved in the time aspect and you get to see the impacts of your giving and that's ideal. However, especially like in the world we're in right now, like you don't, people aren't getting out much. So you kind of also have to balance that with like, is giving important? And if so, do it (laughs) and don't let the, you haven't found the perfect organization cause you to procrastinate giving
1: giving imperfectly is way better than not giving. Right. And yeah. times, like right now, I mean, I'm looking at like the New York food bank and Philadelphia and like homeless, like all the whole swath of humanity whose jobs have been obliterated by what we've seen in the last nine months. Yeah. There's desperate need all around. So if you can't find a worthy cause, you're just you need to really Lazy. open your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Read the
0: newspaper or something. Right. Yeah, now um, and, I, and
1: you know, again, that's a good step, and you iterate. Like over time, when you start to give to a thing, you're like, "Huh, I care about this. I wonder if this is the best way to address an issue." And then you you get better over time. It's like a muscle.
0: Right. Yeah. We we give mostly through our church, and like for example, during COVID, we have asked to. They have created a fund that's like a kind of directly community based relief for. COVID related things. And so we've kind of been able to do that. But um, still, though, you don't sometimes get the as good of a direct feeling of the impact. Um, sometimes you do, but you, you have, that takes a little more effort. That's kind of like phase two, probably. And like you said, it's a muscle. And you know, at the end of the day, the first thing is, if, if it is important to you, you, you know, you can start and, and, and grow with it.
1: Yeah. And so. let me say two more things before we move on. I have learned an immense amount from the people whom I've worked for as a financial advisor. In many cases, actually, in almost every case I can think of most readily, it's not the people with the biggest network that have taught me lessons in generosity. It's There's some sort of like inverse relationship, not like poor people give more or whatever, but I'm saying I've seen people give very generously, sacrificially. Like I'm thinking about this little old lady uh, at a prior firm who got a big windfall when her sister passed away and she was a, a woman of modest means. And she gave either the lion's share or the entire big six figure windfall. That would have been, it would have given her a lot of security. It would have probably reduced her anxiety. It would have been lot, allowed her to increase her life. She gave the whole amount.
0: Yeah. That's sacri- that's sacrificial giving.
1: That's right. And man, when you're in that meeting with that lady, imagine sitting across from this person as their financial advisors, like, Oh, like Mrs. Smith, are you sure you want to take this three quarters of a million dollars that we could like buy you a nice annuity with, or like a long-term care policy so that we can make sure your needs are met and, and do that. And she is, you know, insistent, like, this is, this is what I want to do. That's who That is, uh, you just, it's, it's intense. It's challenging. It, it makes me examine my own life and say like, geez, I'm not even scratching the needle. There can be a danger, you know, in this conversation, to like hold ourselves up as people who are generous, but man, I've just, I've been put to shame in those types of situations.
0: Yeah. Those are like the, uh, rock stars, the sacrificial giving, and they don't, you can't spot them or stereotype them. You know, they're, they're not, they're not, um, which is the best part about it. They they don't even talk about it. You know, they don't even, they don't even, uh, you can't figure it out unless you happen to have known their financial situation.
1: That's right. And that's why it's so amazing is, you know, that you're going to be the only person that finds out. Cause it's not like we're putting her name on a building. Like we're sending this to the, the orphans in Haiti. And, and there's a lot of people that are going to, you know, eat dinner and have a little school to go to and have a life that is marketed better because of that sacrifice. And that's, that's, it's real, it's a real privilege to be in that conversation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. One little side note too on giving, just to clarify. So we're we're mainly talking about today talking about giving property or, or you know money or whatever. Um, I've had clients in the past talk about giving time and you know professional time, and that that's kind of a different world, and it doesn't you know typically affect your taxes and get into the strategy. But we're just going to be talking about actually giving property.
1: Yeah, it's no less important though. I no, I think no, no. no. That's, I'm glad you
0: brought it up. Yeah, that's a that's a completely different thing, but it's definitely uh, definitely important as well. So,
1: and please excuse the nail guns happening next door. There's a there's a new HVAC system that my neighbor is installing. So if you hear any of that construction noise, I'll try to mute my mic as I.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's all good. So um, let's talk. Start talking about the mechanics. So I guess just if I'm giving, how does it affect my tax return? I know you know that's that's not the easiest answer, but like let's start to talk about it.
1: Yeah. So this year, it's a little bit unique. There's this nice little icing on the cake that our friends in Washington, D.C. have decided to give us in terms of giving us an above-the-line deduction. Usually, charitable contributions are a below-the-line
0: deduction. Can you, can you clarify that?
1: Yeah. So what this means is, normally, whenever you give charitably, you need to give in excess of the standard deduction in order for it to make a difference on your taxes. So for a single person... Uh, The standard deduction, $12,400 in the year 2020. Until you have itemized deductions, of which charitable contributions is one, in excess of $12,000, it doesn't make a difference for you. So let's do like an example. So other things that could impact your... That that could be
0: itemized. Like mortgage interest is the big one. Mortgage interest is the big one, yeah. And then salt tax.
1: Yes, right. And and there's a bunch of them that were recently done away with, uh, with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. But... To, to just put concrete terms around this. You know, if you have a little bit of mortgage interest, say like $3,000 of cumulative interest you pay on your mortgage, or it's probably going to be more than that, actually, it might be more like five or six thousand. say it's $5,000 you pay in mortgage interest, every month you make a mortgage payment, some fraction of that is interest. That interest could be tax deductible if it exceeds this $12,400 ceiling for a single person, so if you got five thousand dollars of mortgage interest, you are almost halfway there. And if you had no other deductions, you would need to make a charitable contribution in excess of, you know, twelve thousand four hundred minus five thousand is seventy four hundred dollars. That's sort of your hurdle to say I want my charitable contributions to reduce my taxes. If you didn't get, if you gave some amount less than that, say I've got five thousand of mortgage interest and I write a six thousand dollar check, that's eleven thousand dollars total. In that instance, it's better for you to take the standard deduction of 12400 and reduce your taxable income by that amount rather than the 11000 amount.
0: Right. So just to kind of get that into perspective, did you say 5000 for the mortgage? So just to put it, put it in perspective, if, if you have like a 3% interest rate-ish, these are like super round numbers, not exact. That's probably around like what? Like 175 of mortgage balance, maybe you're around that realm of mortgage balance would kind of tend to generate that or cost that sort of interest on a 12-month time frame ballpark. Okay. On, on the front end, like at the beginning of the amortization schedule. Yeah. I'm just, I'm very much ballparking. like Yeah, that sure. Realm so of, that's
1: probably, I'm probably too low then. A lot of the listeners of your podcast or maybe have a mortgage balance of 500, 700 or...
0: Yeah. Let's say it's 500,000. So that's yeah. like at 3%. That's going to be 15,000. Okay. So we're in... We're in
1: itemization territory here for a single person. Now, maybe if they buy a big house, that's probably because they have a family, so there may be a joint filer. A joint filer is going to have double the standard deduction of a single person. So, for a single person, it's twelve thousand four hundred. For a married person, it's going to be twenty four thousand eight hundred. So, although your mortgage interest is now at fifteen grand, that the ceiling, that the gap you need to close to have that charitable contribution reduce your taxes a little bit, is now an additional nine grand ish.
0: Yeah. That's the thing a lot of uh, this ties into you've probably heard people say, oh, yeah, you got to get a mortgage because it's tax deductible. But that's not actually true because same concept. You have to exceed the hurdle for it to even move the needle on your tax return at all. And that hurdle got a lot higher in 2018 with the new tax law. So basically, it does not affect your tax return in normal circumstances, except for this exception Justin's talking about. But in normal circumstances, you just give cash. It doesn't affect your tax return at all until you exceed that hurdle called the standard deduction.
1: And this is probably a good teachable moment to say, whenever you hear the phrase, you should fill in the blank because it will reduce your taxable income. A lot of the time, that's not a good trade. You want to make sure you're thinking through. Now, one exception might be, oh, let's contribute to a 401k. You know, that's going to reduce our income. But if it's like buy a house to reduce your taxes, <laughs> um, that's you're, we're letting the tail wag the dog on that one.
0: Yeah, good point. Good point. So you're talking about uh, the uh, the Cares Act, the yes, freebie right. kind of thing above the line.
1: So normally we've got that we've got to give to that in excess of that standard deduction in order for our taxes to go down. This year we get a little one year reprieve in some little amount of money, which is three hundred dollars, which is great. You know, it's better than nothing. So what that means is your three hundred dollar contribution, even if you don't hit the uh, the standard deduction is going to reduce your taxes before the standard deduction calculation happens. So if you make sixty grand, you're a resident out there, and you're you're unmarried, your standard deduction is still twelve thousand four hundred. So that's double your gross income. It's probably going to be difficult, especially if you don't own a home, to give enough to reduce your taxes at that point. And you know it's great if you want to do that. You're doing it obviously more because you're generous <laughs> than as a tax play. But even if you only make sixty grand, if you give three hundred dollars. That three hundred comes off the top, so your taxable income goes from sixty thousand to fifty nine thousand seven hundred. Obviously, not earth shattering, but if you take that three hundred dollars times your effective tax rate, uh, you know, say you're taxed at about twenty five percent. Well, it's, it's going to be less than that if you make sixty grand, but you know, you can take that twenty five percent times three hundred bucks, and that's essentially the tax benefit
0: to you. Yeah. So anybody that gives three hundred dollars in two thousand and twenty it's going to reduce their taxable income and ultimately their tax bill, you know, some, but then above the $300, that's when that whole hurdle comes into play with the standard deduction and all the, all that stuff we're just talking about.
1: Exactly. And one way to think about this is like, if I give 300 bucks, uncle Sam is going to kick in, you know, 10 or 15, it's 25% is probably too high for the resident example, maybe, you know, five or 10 or 15% in
0: my direction. Mm
1: So, look, I can either give 300 to charity or 270 to Uncle Sam, is another way to sort of think about that.
0: Now, if you're in practice, the numbers get, I guess you could call it worse or better. Your rate, your marginal rate, your tax you pay on your last dollar of income goes way up on average uh, when you're in practice. So those numbers, those percentages get higher on what you make of any extra dollar of income, which also in turn makes the impact of this gift better on your reduction of taxes. Yeah. So the bottom line is,
1: 2020 is a year. There's a lot of need out there, and if you have any everybody margin needs whatsoever,
0: everybody should give at
1: least 300 bucks.
0: Yeah. 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 Minimum. Minimum. That's a, And if you're wanting to just kind of get started giving, you know, at least give 300. So then, you know, the, we talked about the tax, the cash gifts, uh, you know, just how that affects tax return and the standard deduction. There's a several other strategies we'll we'll get into that get a little bit more, I, I guess, you know, strategic really, but. The first one I was going to throw out there was giving appreciated securities. So let's talk about that.
1: Yeah. So an appreciated security is not a security that you like very, very much. Uh, It is some security, whether it's a stock, a bond, a mutual fund, an ETF that you bought at a low price and it went up
0: to a higher price. So the price goes up, it's appreciated. Or you could even give like a car or like a collector car that went up in value or Bitcoin, right? You know? That, yeah.
1: Well, yeah. I've never tried to
0: give a cryptocurrency. <laughs> that's an interesting question. But, I mean, anything with a capital gain, anything yeah. that's grown in value. That you yeah. Own. Now the
1: organization to whom you're giving would have to be able to receive that Correct. asset. So right. I don't know if they would have like a, a an wallet or whatever. <laughs> I'm very you're not. You're not doing
0: cryptocurrency?
1: That. Come on. No, I'm not. That's every- but I actually I had a conversation last night with uh, one of my clients. This is particularly useful for people who have uh, taxable accounts. So a taxable account is a type of investment account where there's no tax advantage inherently. It's not like a 401k. It's not like a Roth IRA. Those have tax advantages. A taxable account has no tax advantage. So if I buy a stock in a taxable account, I bought Tesla say at 50 bucks and now it's at 1500 bucks. It's appreciated an immense amount. And if I wanted to give uh, some, you know, money to charity, I have two options. Option number one, I can stroke a check for 1500 bucks and write a check to that charity. Option number two is I could give them a share of Tesla stock and that, and we'll talk about the donor advice fund in a minute, but I could give them that share of Tesla stock and they would then sell it and use the 1500 bucks that they, however they want to. And what I'm effectively doing is I'm taking this embedded taxable gain. So that $1,450 that the stock went up, um, I have to pay taxes on that whenever I sell this security. But when I give it away, I'm essentially removing that taxable gain from my, from my taxable account and I don't have to pay taxes on it. So hypothetically, if I like the stock, I wanna still own it, but I don't wanna pay the taxes on it. I can give away the $1,500 stock that, that grew and give away that gain. And then I can actually, instead of stroking that check to the charity, I can take that money and immediately rebuy Tesla if I wanted to. So there's zero impact. To my portfolio, and what I'm doing is I'm removing taxable gains that, down the line, I may have to, you know, pay Uncle Sam
0: for. It's kind of like Uncle Sam starts to get a stake in your securities in taxable accounts as they grow. Uncle Sam starts to get a stake because it's like, well, eventually, you know, you got to sell it, or when you sell it, and then you got to pay back, pay 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 him off on his. His, his stake in the share. But this is kind of a way around that. And so you're, you know, you, you hand it off to a charitable organization, then there's no tax impact. So you're essentially taking a asset that has a ta- embedded tax, like you're saying, Justin, and remove it from your balance sheet, which has, it's much, so from just a pure tax standpoint, it's completely better to give the security with the embedded gains than the cash, right? That's precisely right.
1: Yeah, and you can see the power of this principle over time, especially if you're charitably inclined. You buy stocks or whatever over time, they go up and up and up and you have this taxable, this tax bill that has not yet been received by you, but that's kind of like out there in the future for whenever you sell. If you're disciplined and you're giving, you do it every year and you
0: give away the, the appreciated securities year after year, you're giving away those tax bills. <laughs> and the charity doesn't play it either. That's the other thing. The charitable organization, there's no tax hit for them by doing it.
1: That's right. And we're taking advantage of the fact that they are a nonprofit. So when a 501c3 sells the security with an embedded game, they don't pay any taxes.
0: Yeah. I guess I guess the downside with this approach, it is a little bit of a more administrative or you know, not as straightforward approach. Like just writing checks to charities is easier. I mean, you just write the check. And so at least in our experience, I think there's a point where the bigger the gain, the bigger the amount that's being given. You know, all that kind of leans more towards making this strategy appealing. Versus, if you just have a tiny bit of gain and it's not, you're not giving a ton. It's there's a point where it's probably not worth it to add a little complexity to your situation. So just keep that in mind. Like, if if I'm hearing this, I'm probably thinking, oh well, I'll always give appreciated securities. That's 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 a no brainer uh but there is that added little bit of uh you know administrative burden you have to kind of work through accounts and replace money and move move money from one pocket to the other
1: yeah and there are certain assets that frankly just don't appreciate that much and so depending on what securities you're holding this is great for people who have a lot of equity investments so this is like yeah so uh stocks or stock oriented mutual funds or stock oriented ETFs that are have more growth opportunity. Those are the types of securities you're going to have an opportunity to give. And another challenge, you know, Dan, you mentioned the administrative hassle in air quotes, is some little, you know, I'll call them like a rinky dink 501c3. They might not have a brokerage account. They might not be able to like facilitate this type of transaction. So sometimes if you go to them and say, hey, I want to give you 20 grand of an appreciated security, they've got to like open a charitable brokerage account at TD Ameritrade. Yeah. you like,
0: what do you mean? What are you what, what are we going to do with the security? Exactly. Like, yeah. so that... That's another issue I didn't. Yeah. Mention.
1: If they spend all their time running a soup kitchen, you know, they're not financially savvy and they've never run into this before. So maybe that's also probably a good opportunity for you to say, hey, let me be on the board. <laughs> let me help you do this. And let's start talking to people who want to give us appreciated securities, because those are probably going to be bigger contributions, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's where the uh, yeah larger dollars.
1: Yeah. And given that that's where you can give a little time, which is great.
0: Yeah. Another way around that hurdle you just mentioned is the the donor advice fund.
1: That's right. Yeah. So this is a great way to streamline this process. And essentially what you're doing is you're setting up a little, um, like a, think of it as like a bucket in the middle between you and the nonprofit. So you might say, Hey, nonprofit, I want to, you know, give you $20,000 worth of Tesla stock. And they kind of look at you like, wow, that sounds great. But like, I don't even understand what that means or how to transfer the assets or whatever. And so you can say, okay, don't worry about it. What I will do instead is take 20 grand of appreciated Tesla stock, and I'll put it in a donor advised fund, which is essentially, you can think of it like a a very small foundation functionally the way it works. And you would take your 20,000 shares of or $20,000 of Tesla, and you would transfer it to this account, which is an account with your name on it, but it's not a taxable brokerage account. It's a donor advised fund. In the eyes of the IRS, whenever you transfer assets into this account with your name on it, that is a donor advised fund, you have constructively made a contribution to charity. And the reason that they can deduce this is because putting money in this account is a—it's uh, an irrevocable act. You can't get it back. So although you can control disbursement, you can't say, oh, just kidding. I want that Tesla stock back. It's already on its way out the door. And so... The donor-advised fund can be a way to sort of administratively simplify this process. Maybe you're thinking, I want to give to three or four different uh, charities before the end of the year, and I want to do it uh, you know, sometime in the future. I haven't maybe determined what those charities are yet. I want to wait and see, but I know right now I want to give the money, and Tesla's at an all-time high, and Elon Musk just said something, and the, shop, the stock shot through the roof, and I want to take advantage of this moment right now. You can then take those Tesla shares and move them into the donor-advised fund today, And that 20 grand is sitting in this account and you can then let it sit there until the end of the year. And then you can cut checks from that account later on. And you can even cut checks next year or the year after. But in the eyes of the IRS, the contribution has been made the moment the transfer happens into that donor advised fund.
0: Mm -hmm. It's a way to kind of facilitate your giving through kind of a sub account that you still are able to direct, but you don't own it anymore technically you don't it's it's no longer your asset but you're kind of like the lead you can you are able to direct where it goes and uh, in most cases and uh, how it's invested in most cases now there's yeah but
1: yeah i mean this is a. do you use this with your i think this is a really
0: great uh you know a vehicle for people who are going to be giving regularly yeah it seems like everybody that we work with that gives kind of like graduates to a point where they are using the donor advised fund. So going back to what I was saying before, like the appreciated securities and then the donor advised fund, you got to get to a certain level where you're giving at a large enough amount and and then you have appreciated securities. And then depending on the situation, it's typically people get to the point where this is a home run sort of a strategy. And do you have any go to like donor advised fund companies?
1: Uh, I use TV. They're okay. Uh, Fidelity has a great one. I think Fidelity probably has sort of the best reputation from what I've
0: seen, yeah. as far as like administrative simplicity and all that. We've enjoyed Schwab. Schwab charitable is, is solid.
1: Yeah, I've used Schwab in the past as well. I, I think any of those are uh, are good options.
0: Mm-hmm. There's a lot of local ones too. Just keep that in mind, and I think that there's even some sometimes some local perks associated with them. So there's all kinds of, like in my area, and I'm sure every area, there's all kinds of like local based, uh, charitable donor advised funds really, but they're like kind of locally branded or local impact and they kind of handle the money for you. So that's, that's, that's kind of a a subset of this. But, uh, so you were getting into the other concept I wanted to talk about, which is batch giving. So you want to kind of explain what that is and how that works?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So batch giving is it's strategically thinking about the timing of your gifts as it relates to your tax circumstances. So if you want to you know, give, just to use round numbers, I want to give $10,000 a year to this charity and I'm a single person and I rent my apartment. So I don't have any really momentum towards that itemized deduction ceiling of 12,400. I'm going to give $10,000 away per year. One way to do it is to just cut a $10,000 check every year and that's fine. And I'll take the standard deduction every year. Another way to do it a little bit more intentionally is to do what we would call a batch gift where I take the 2020 gift and the 2021 gift and I do them all in December of 2020. So it's $20,000 this year. And now instead of taking standard deduction, 12,400 this year, standard deduction, 12,400 next year, I'm now taking in this year, the itemized deduction of $20,000 in 2020. And then next year I can give zero because I've already given that $10,000 and I'll take the standard deduction next year. So the net impact, if you compare batch giving versus non-batch giving in this example, is I've reduced my taxes by an incremental 7500 bucks, and reduced my tax bill by perhaps a couple grand just by being strategic about the timing of my giving. I'm giving the exact same amount, but the timing helps me out on the tax side.
0: Yeah, you basically, the net of the three years, your total... Standard plus itemized deductions over that three-year period ends up being higher when you smush it all into one year. Is the ultimate effect of it
1: exactly? So instead of yeah, instead of giving weekly or monthly, give once every two or three years. Now charities don't like that because they have to do financial pro forma to say how much money are we going to make next year. So you've got to balance the uh, you know the tax planning with the practical need of how are the people to whom I'm going to give this money going to use it?
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's 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 a good point as well. I would say that the um, challenge, the biggest challenge with this, this will always this strategy pretty much always works if you're having years where you're kind of under that standard deduction and and over it. Now, if you're always over the standard deduction, this is irrelevant. But uh, anybody that has years where they're kind of claiming the standard deduction and they're giving you know a decent amount, this this strategy can can work really well. The challenge to it is you have to have the money up front right? So like you got to have, or you might have an investment account uh, with money in it. And so a lot of people just don't have the resources now they're giving on out of their income. And so that's, I think the one big challenge or hurdle. And then the second thing is if you're going back to what we were saying at the very beginning, and you were hitting on, I think a minute ago is you give for values. If your values are to give and give as much as you can, why would you not give it to the charity immediately? Right? So like, why like, play the tax game to hold up your money <laughs> so that you can give it to the charitable organization later. Why not just give it to to them all now if you happen to have the money? So, I mean, I think that's a, <laughs> that's a personal preference and, and and that sort of thing, but it, and it depends on your situation, but it definitely, if we're strictly looking at it from a tax standpoint, it can work really well. And then especially if you can combine the two, right? So combine batch giving with also giving appreciated securities and then using a donor advised fund. So that's That's, kind of like bringing all the things we've thrown out together into one collective strategy. Right.
1: Yeah. And the nice thing about this is especially, you know, I don't know about you. I just, it just so happened that I had some clients that opened investment accounts in like February and March and we dumped a bunch of money in back then. Now you might remember what happened in February. There was this thing called coronavirus that was just coming on the scene and we had no idea what the heck was going to happen. Is this like, the end of life as we know it. The stock market uh, tanked significantly in that time, so we actually ended up putting a bunch of money to work just by dumb luck at the perfect time. So I've got this batch of money from like early or late March that we invested that, <clears throat> that now is up, you know, from that low point to right now we're at all time highs. It's up like 50%. Um, that's a perfect candidate in a taxable account. A perfect candidate to do everything that you just described. The trifecta of batch of giving appreciated securities, donor advised fund. And another thing to think about if we're trying to reduce taxes, You know, we want to think about what is, how is my tax situation going to change year over year? There's two sort of, there's an internal and external factor, right? Internal is, am I going to make more money this year or next year? Am I on a higher tax bracket this year or next year? The other external factor is what's going to happen assuming that uh, Joe Biden does eventually transition to the White House as uh, you know, as things move towards January and what is his tax policy going to be? And is that going to leave me in a better or a worse situation from a tax standpoint? And so it might behoove me as somebody who's a physician with a good income, making a lot of money and paying a lot of taxes to think about if I'm going to, we'll call this like reverse batch giving (laughs) instead of batching this year, maybe I take that big December contribution and I make it in January because I think that whatever Joe Biden does in 2021 is going to be a bigger benefit
0: to me next year than it would be for me this year. So we can't know what's gonna happen but that's food for thought sometimes you can but and we I'm sh- I'm sure you do this as well Justin like I try to stay out of the predicting game it doesn't seem to play out usually very well yeah, but yeah. with uh, <laughs> taxes and and anything really but um but so that's the external and now sometimes you do know for sure now the examples I would give when you would know for sure that taxes are gonna change number one is like they've passed the tax law it just hasn't gone into effect yet so that's totally completely possible in the next. So often everybody's talking about it. If what they say they're going to do actually plays out and they do change the tax laws in some cases, they might change it for a future year instead of like the current year. And so in that case, there becomes this kind of rush to do it before the end of the year. The second scenario is if your situation is changing and you know it, say you're going into practice, classic example, your income is going to go way up the following year. And so that can present, you know, kind of a, a really good opportunity, that's a good year. Ideally, you you know batch the giving in the years when your income is the highest and that will give you the best thing for your buck.
1: Yeah, so to put this in just very concrete terms, if you're uh, graduating from residency or fellowship this year, next year, you're gonna take an attending job in like August, September, October, sometime in the fall, you're gonna have three months of higher income. So your income is starting to ratchet up a little bit, but then the following year is the year when you got 12 months of a big paycheck and yep. that would be an optimal time to, to batch your giving into that
0: year to take yep. advantage of the
1: tax impact.
0: Right. Yeah, that's a good point. So um, there's a couple more strategies. There's a, there's actually uh, just to kind of clarify on the strategies. There's a lot of different strategies for giving. Um, we're kind of hitting on the most common, I would say, in our world. I think the last few we were going to talk about, they become a little less common. They're definitely definitely great strategies, but they become a little bit more dependent on circumstances. So the first one, QCD, so that's, you can take um, qualified charitable distribution from IRA um, and and give it directly to a charity. You want to break that down, Justin?
1: Yeah, I'll take a stab at it. So uh, qualified charitable distribution uh, is, you know, whenever you reach now is age 72, you're forced by the IRS to start kicking money out of your tax deferred accounts. So 401k, IRAs, these accounts where you've never, ever, ever paid any taxes. You put it in pre-tax, it grows tax deferred, eventually the tax man comes calling. And so when you have to start taking these distributions, uh, they're called RMDs, required minimum distributions. There's a formula for how that amount of money is derived. It starts at somewhere between two and 3% of the total balance, and then it goes up over time as you age. So if I'm 72 and I've got a million dollars in an IRA, my RMD might be $27,000. So I get 27 kicked out of this IRA, whether or not I need it. I might have social security and other sources of income. I might still be working, but I get this money. I get this taxable event, $27,000 of taxed money that I now have to stroke a check for to Uncle Sam. One way that you could handle this in terms of you know managing your giving uh, proactively is to, instead of taking an RMD, where the money goes from your IRA to your checking account, take a qualified charitable distribution, QCD, where you send that money straight away, that 27 grand, that you couldn't hang on to anyway in that account, send it straight to the charity. And so one of the benefits of doing this is, you know, it it may or may not, you know, it obviously depends on your tax situation, the actual tax impact. One benefit that it generally does have is it it may reduce your Medicare Part B premiums because it it uh, the money does not count towards the Irma cliff, which uh, you can Google that IRMAA if you want to get down to the weeds. But this is one of the reasons that this can be helpful for, you know, retirees or people sort of getting up there in years who are starting to have to take these RMDs. Qualified charitable distribution can be helpful in those instances.
0: Yeah, and then I think the classic example is the, uh, if you... you're taking the standard deduction. If you subtract out giving from your world and you're taking the standard deduction, it might be a much better strategy to do this, use this QCD thing if you're in retirement and getting RMDs because you are effectively reducing your income dollar for dollar on the contribution. Whereas giving like the normal way you have to Exceed that itemized deduction hurdle, like we were talking about before.
1: Maybe you could give an example, just so the people like me, who <laughs> are a little slow to understand, can comprehend.
0: Yeah. So, like, same example as we were talking about at the very beginning. You have to give above what's the s- standard deduction for a married couple? Now, is it 24
1: grand like and change?
0: Yeah. So, some, somewhere around there. So, if you're married, you you got to give above twenty four thousand to have to move the needle on anything. Okay, so let's say you're retired and you're you know you're in your seventies, late seventies or something, and you normally uh, give twenty five thousand dollars a year, and so you have already paid off your mortgage and you really don't pay any state income tax, so basically the twenty five you give just barely above the standard deduction, so you get a you, if you didn't give, and I'm talking about cash right now, so if you gave cash. 25,000 you get a little bit of benefit because you're just slightly above that standard deduction so it affects your taxes by the difference between the 25 and whatever the standard deduction was. so it's like a few hundred dollars of tax impact. On the other hand, if you give using this QCD strategy, you're you you don't get to get that few hundred dollar tax benefit I was just talking about but you're able to take a fully taxable asset, and give it straight away and kind of like get it off your balance sheet without, without having a tax impact. Same, same sort of thing is what we were talking about with the appreciated security strategy. You can uh, kind of remove something from your balance sheet that has substantial embedded taxation. And um, the impact of that for you and maybe your future tax rate is going to be like a marginal rate of 25%. You're getting 25 cents on the dollar on that if you use this QCD strategy when you, when you are in that example. Am I making sense, Justin? You check me on this.
1: Yeah. I, I'm trying to think. I buy. don't like complex
0: tax questions on the fly. <laughs> I know. So the further down we go, this list, they get, get more complicated. So I should have researched this in advance
1: and I haven't. So we'll just, I'll say yes and we'll go with it. But please consult your uh, tax advisor or planner before making any Big, important charitable contribution decisions.
0: Don't worry. The disclaimer is <laughs> built built in already. Nice. Speaking of complex tax strategies, you want to talk about the last one? So private foundations. Yeah. So
1: I've sometimes had, a, I actually had a question this year with a couple of clients. They're like, we want to start a private foundation. We want to start a foundation. They, they express desire to start giving meaningfully, charitably, which again is awesome. I love to see. I love to enable and encourage at every opportunity. And they were talking about like, we want to seed it with like 30 grand. We want to give like 30 to 50 K a year and, and start to you know express generosity in this way. And what we found and what, what I shared with them was there's a, a critical mass that you need before a private foundation makes sense. So what a private foundation is, is instead of giving money to the 501c3 that's out there that has a separate mission. And instead of the donor advised fund that is sort of this intermediate bucket to receive money and then disperse. Uh, a private foundation is your own, it's your own nonprofit. So giving money to this private foundation is in itself a charitable contribution. Now, there's a high hurdle for opening, maintaining, and administering a private foundation. Frankly, I don't have any clients right now that do it. I have in the past. It's something that you've got to make and give a lot of money in order for that to make sense. Usually, you know, in excess of two or 300K, maybe up towards half. If you said, I want to give half a million and I want to do it in a way that, you know, I can build some structure around and maybe with a recurring gift. You know, now we're in the strata where opening a private foundation could make sense. But, you know, if you're 10, 20, 30, even 50 grand, uh, we're still in donor advised fund territory and it's just much simpler. You don't need any lawyers. You don't need any, there's no particular correspondence with the IRS. It's, uh, it's a much more streamlined option. So the foundation is sort of like, when you're making a lot and you want to really get into the big leagues of, of giving.
0: Yep. Right. So that, that'd be, like you're saying, the uh, bigger dollar amounts. and But it definitely comes with more complexity and costs typically translate. So, well, as we wrap up, I think I want to circle back. I, I think the biggest thing here is circling back to what we were talking about at the very beginning. So we got all these strategies and the temptation, even for me, like I'm tempted to do this. I am I love strategic thinking. And let's try to, you know, let's, let's see how we can maximize efficiency. But with this type of thing, giving, you really have to remind yourself, I have to remind myself that it's, you know, typically about the values first, or it should be about the value uh, first and the actual gifts. So I think it's important to kind of keep that in mind and then circle back to how do we maximize efficiency? At least that's that's how my mind works. And I, I, you know, I have to remind myself that as well. I'm sure Justin, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah,
1: totally agree. I mean, I, I think this is one of the benefits of working with a financial advisor who's philosophically aligned with you and to whom you can express goals. It's, I mean, it's all this. It's sort of a I'll say it's, it's just a very common sort of analogy, but I think it's so maps on very nicely is the personal trainer example. You know, it's one thing to like know how to lift a weight and do curls. It's another thing to get a gym membership, and it's another thing to say, I'm paying somebody, you know, on a monthly basis to show up at the gym at 5 a.m. and give me some accountability and some constructive feedback to make sure that I am doing the best I possibly can at getting uh, achieving my fitness goals. I think with giving, this is the one thing, as I mentioned, that just gives me so much, it energizes me and it it humbles me too. I and I love this about my job, is I get to serve as a, a coach, as a an accountability partner is giving feedback, holding up the mirror, asking my clients, what are your goals for this? What are your values and how do we support those? And when I have clients who are charitably inclined, who they, you know, I've had people tell me like, I want you to hold my feet to the fire, you know, obviously in some kind of like reasonable way, but to challenge me, like, here's my goal. I want to give away 20% of my gross income this year. Let's think about how to do it. And I want you to make sure that it happens. And if it's November, it's still in my checking account, let's have a conversation now that's kind of an extreme example uh but i i love those conversations and i do have them and i think that it does make you um it, it just to come back to the happiness factor i think it uh it just makes you a happier person when you kind of build your life intentionally in that way
0: our clients that give a lot i don't i don't ever hear them talk about how they wish they gave less which i think is a good
1: yes that is a great point when at last
0: you come to die <laughs> You're not going to
1: say, "Dang, I gave away so much to charity. I really regret that."
0: Yeah, no, I'm sure it's the reverse most of the time. It's like,
1: and I think that's why giving in ways where you can perceive the constructive impact—it really is useful, and it really does. It's again the American Cancer Society example is like not to not to. I mean, we we need cancer research and everything, but for myself and the way that I want to give, like being able to see that tangible impact, it does give me more endurance and more excitement. About continuing to give in a disciplined way, so I think if you're if you've got a missing link there, it can it can make you procrastinate. But if you can see the impact and you give
0: in a way where it's it's real to you, that that can be really helpful. Awesome. Well, so if people are looking to to reach out to you or have questions about you and your firm, how, how can they find you?
1: Yeah. So um, you can email me Justin at APM Wealth, APM like Anesthesiology Pain Management Wealth and would love to hear from
0: you and interact. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you chatting with me. Yeah, Dan, it was a pleasure. Uh, Let's do it again soon. Definitely, definitely. As always, thank you so much for joining us today. If you found this valuable, please give us a review on iTunes and share with a friend. Also, check out our website at financeforphysicians.co for all sorts of additional content. See you next time. Finance for Physicians is not an investment, tax, legal, or financial advisor.